Hello and welcome to another all-new episode of the Three Bid League podcast. As always, I'm Tyler, joined by my co-host Matt, and we will be joined by a co-co-host for today's episode, Chris Pyle of A10 Talk. Thanks for joining us, Pyle. Hey, man. I'm so I actually like that title, the co-co-host. It's like the assistant to the assistant to the regional manager, it, which was also Dwight Schrute's position, if I remember correctly. That's true. If I yeah, so if yeah, I think the best line from that show from him is. If I've been, if I'm dead, you guys have been dead for weeks. So if you're dead, then I've been dead for weeks. So, all right, a little Dwight Schrute talk to kick this off. That's great because I got a community reference dialed up for later. But fantastic, we will get to that when we get to it. Quick disclaimer: If anyone's listening to this on Wednesday and you have not already, be sure to go check out our mini episode previewing the two Wednesday games. But Matt, how should we kick off? this massive conference preview. Well, Tyler, we are finally here. Conference play is upon us, and it's going to be such a great season. If you go over to Ken Palm and click on the A-10, it's just a mess. Pretty much the entire league is bunched up into, you know, winning 8, 9, 10, 11 conference games. It's all going to be really close. So why not start out and give some conference standings predictions because i think we can go a lot of different ways with this and i'm very curious to hear what you guys think about how the league's going to play out this year in the regular season yeah and we need to let chaos reign here we should be very different on at least four or five different teams here and honestly if we don't come out of this pod and a fan of some team doesn't call each of us individually an idiot for where we put their team, that we did this wrong. Because if there's one thing that's really clear this year, it's that projections are going to be terrible. And so I know I did my standings thinking about just going all in on some of the teams I like. I got some high ceiling teams that are very shaky that I put in the top four that very well could finish eighth, ninth, tenth. I got one or two teams that I have just thrown into the basement here. So I hope you guys did the same. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this year, too, more than ever, I I know we always say it's a wide open conference, but I truly think there's like eight or nine contenders this year just because there's no dominant team. There's a lot pretty much at some point this year, every team has shown some flash of positivity, but nobody except for I guess you could say Fordham made it through the conference non-conference season unscathed. Everyone took a questionable loss or two. So when we're just comparing what these teams did over the last two months, it's a mess and anything could happen. Yeah, we'll talk about it when we do some best bets, but I think there's seven teams that legitimately could still win this conference. All right. So, so Chris, why don't you start us off since you're wonderful guests here tonight? Why don't you give us your first couple teams on your non or your conference season? predictions for the standings so you want to start at the top and go down to 15 correct yeah i think i don't know tyler i feel like we always change it up i'm good with doing it that way i feel like that's actually how we always do it but you know what Kyle? (laughs) i'm gonna let you take this you're going first either give us your top four or your bottom four all right because this is a chaos season it really is so we should if it's chaos 
If it's chaos, we should start with one and then say 15 and then go to the middle, right? <laughs> Ooh, that but, might be a little too much for my to wrap my head around, but we'll yeah, see I know. how it goes. <laughs> I, I actually, yeah, we're not doing that. I actually said that and I'm like, I think I would screw up. <laughs> um, so my first, so basically who I have winning the conference, um, I have Dayton just be, and I know it's too, a little bit of a Homer pick, but to be honest, I really just looking at the schedule of the eight ten, like there's really like Dayton really hasn't really lost to anyone terrible and, or even like decent. And yet, you know, the rest of the A-10 is pretty much to the teams that they've kicked the crap out of, right? Like, they beat SMU pretty handily. They beat Wyoming pretty handily. Like, all those, like, bye games, they won easily. So there's really not too many teams that I feel like Dayton is going to lose to. Um, And then I have SLU at two. Um, I think they'll finish second. And then three, I have VCU uh, just because – I think they're headed in the right direction going into conference play. And then fourth, I have UMass. Um, UMass, I think, uh, is in heading in the right direction. Frank Martin, uh, I think he's putting this program in, you know, at least this season in the right direction. Um, they've kind of shown so far that, you know, they can beat some decent teams. They have a nice win over Colorado. Um, winning at Harvard on the road was a good one. So, you know, to me, I feel like they're that fourth team. And, you know, there's a lot of teams that can kind of get to that fourth spot. You know, you can you can chalk that up to even Richmond, Mason, Duquesne, even Fordham um, can all get that fourth spot. For But for me so far, I think the most impressed I've been uh, is UMass. So I'll go with the top four to start. How about that? All right, that sounds good. And definitely, I think this year, more than any other year, that top four race is going to be so critical because we're already pretty much at the stage where if you want to go to the NCAA tournament, you got to think about Brooklyn. And getting that double buy in the tournament is going to be such a huge advantage. Definitely don't have a problem with any of the teams you picked, but I agree with your last point that there are going to be a lot of teams hunting for one of those spots. So. Tyler, do you want to go next with your your double buy teams? We'll you say? take it because I'm get I'm just getting dialed up right now. All right, I we disagree can... with so much about what both of you just said. All right, well I'm interested to see where you go, but I'll I'll, I'll kick it off next then. And this might be the most shocking thing ever that's happened in five years of the podcast. But you know what? I'm picking St. Louis to win the regular season. Yeah. That SIU Edwardsville game did not scare me away, and. What it comes down to, I just think the Billikens have clearly the the two best wins of the season to this point. Memphis is looking really good. That's probably going to end up as a Q1 game. And then Providence off to a 2-0 start in the Big East. That was a neutral site win. That's looking quite good. So I'm picking the Billikens first. Second, I just can't quit. I'm going with VCU. I think their struggles have been a little bit overblown. They're nine and four. They have a better record than St. Louis and Dayton right now, albeit with a little bit of a weaker schedule. But the only bad game in there is against Jacksonville. Otherwise, they've been losing to pretty quality teams. 
And the last two games, as Pyle alluded to, they're starting to get it together going into the conference season, uh, coming off a 90-point performance against Northern Illinois, and then dropping 74 against Navy, coming back down double digits in the first half. So I think VCU's going in the right direction. Third, I have Dayton, which I hate saying, but at the end of the day, I just don't know if Dayton has the bodies to make it through conference play on any given night right now. They only have, I would say, between four and six players who are capable of contributing at an A-10 level. And we just don't really know how deep the rotation can be the rest of the year. And my fourth and final double buy pick, this might be where I put a little bit too much faith in Ken Palm at times, as I'm often guilty of doing, but I'm saying Richmond here, who has been one of the most inconsistent teams. They've been blown out a couple times, but also have a few quality wins mixed in. And to me, it comes down to Tyler Burton being a player of the year candidate as just a stud in this conference. And then the Spiders also quietly have one of the best defenses in the A-10, which I was not prepared for. Uh, right now, it's one of Chris Mooney's best defensive teams ever at Richmond. And I just feel like if they get the offense going a little bit more in conference play the next couple months, this could end up being a really dangerous team. Yeah, I want to jump in, Matt, um, just really quick. Uh, I, I mean... Honestly, I don't think anyone's wrong. I think you and I are kind of on the same page. It's more or less who out of that top three between Dayton, VCU, and St. Louis is going to take it, right? Like, it's just kind of like, who are you buying more into out of that top three? And then that top four, you saying Richmond. I actually have Richmond at my five. And the reason is I have Richmond at five uh, because UMass and Richmond, I think are pretty similar, not similar teams, but they'll end up like with a net gain. That's very similar, you know? And I kind of thought going through the schedule, I was like, I think they're going to finish with the same record, but Richmond visits UMass this year. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I think UMass wins that game to get that fourth double buy. So I kind of, I, but I do like where you're going, like with your thought process, which makes me really really interested in what Tyler has to say. Yeah, I am too. So Tyler, where did we go wrong with our double buy predictions? This is wonderful. I have two teams in the top four that have not been mentioned yet. Well, I know who one of them is going to be, but let's go ahead and hear it. The fun part is I don't know which one it is that you think you got here. Number one is the Dayton Flyers. They were always the most talented team. They're finally playing the right way. Anyone who's been listening to this the last few weeks, I've said it 83 times, so I'm not going to reiterate it again. But if they continue to just ride Holmes and Kamara the way they are, they are the best team in this conference. And then I feel like two through seven are all almost equal. And it's going to come down to one or two games, a big shot here, a questionable foul call there, a key player in foul trouble on the wrong night. You can go any which way with two through seven. So I might as well just take the teams that I feel like have the best chance to challenge the Flyers. And so I'm going with the ceiling at number two of the Davidson Wildcats. They have two of the 10 best players in this conference in Lawyer and Menenga. And by the way, all those games that they lost in December, Lawyer played pretty badly. 
like go look into Foster Lawyer's game log if you're looking if you're listening to this right now. His shooting numbers have been bad in the last two to three weeks. That's not going to continue. Like this is like the Michigan State tournament game level bad from him. He is far closer to the guy we saw in November than December. And I'm just going to continue to wait here for Reed Bailey to kick to really kick it into gear to become a rookie of the year candidate, which we'll talk about later. I think Des Watson is one of the best grinded out role guys in this conference. Right now, I think he off the top of my head, he's at least top two, top three for me in glue guy of the year contention. And once they just figure out the right formula with this lineup, I think come late January into February, they're going to be playing great basketball. Number three, St. Louis, like they just have to be up here because they're still, they're still better than these other teams. But December taught us what has gone wrong with the Travis Ford era. It's a reminder that this is a team that lets dumb games get away from them at least three to four times a season. There was no, there was absolutely no reason for them to possibly blow that huge lead to SIU Edwardsville, but that's the history of the Travis Ford teams. And even though the talent's there, the talent's not playing well enough to kind of override that. Now, you certainly can't take them much lower than this with the way that Collins is playing, with the fact that Perkins finally had his first great game of the year, but this team has a lot of deficiencies in the paint offensively and on defense. And I just don't feel great putting them up at the top. I feel like between them and Dayton, it's just like we said at the beginning of the year, there's a much higher chance that they disappoint. I went back and forth on number four a lot. There's four teams that kind of sit in that same spot. And we've talked about three of them already, but the one we haven't is the Duquesne Dukes. They're malleable. They're deep. They have a chance to mix and match as these games go on. And Grant and Clark are one of the best wing combos in this conference. Now where this could go horribly wrong is if the perimeter defense continues to play like it did against Indiana state. And there's about four or five games where they did not play well defending the three, but in the DePaul game, they finally showed what they could be. Trey Clark, absolutely shutting down Emoja Gibson Clark is playing great right now. Tevin Brewer is finally getting healthy. And I just think that the Dukes, despite being 10 and three, have not played their best yet. So in the season of chaos, I'll take them at four and on a tiebreaker for a very specific reason that I will talk about in our hot take segments at the end. All right. Well, I was right. Uh, Duquesne was going to be my prediction for one of your top four teams. And I, 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 I mean, I've liked Davidson more than them all season, so I can't it, quit. I think I like Davidson literally more than anybody except for maybe Matt McKillop. That's very possible. Although I, I think that's the one thing holding me back from picking Davidson higher is that like not to say bad things about Matt McKillop, but he's the coach and it's not Bob anymore. And I just wonder how his first run through the Atlantic 10 as a head coach is going to be. But I do like the optimism, although I don't know. That was a tough game against Northeastern wrapping up the non-con for the Wildcats. So that, that scares me a little bit. I, uh, that's exactly what I was thinking too, Matt. Like I, or, uh, oh, excuse me. Um, I really cannot 
buy into Davidson after seeing Northeastern game. Like, I really can't. And they also lost to Delaware. So it's not like it's a fluky loss, you know, like some of these teams have. Like, Davidson is kind of a team where, yeah, they have a nice little win against San Francisco. Even Old Dominion is a decent win, but, like, they have two sub-200 losses right now. And to me, that's kind of like, uh, you know, that's going to happen a couple times in conference play, and we're going to go, huh? But in reality, it's like, oh, well, this is the worst Davidson team since joining the A-10. And it's no secret as to that, you know, it's little McKillop's team now. And we need to stop with kind of the, you know, bias that we have about them where it's, oh, well, it's not the, it, you know, oh, it's Davidson, you know, they'll figure it out. Well, I think that's because, you know, we just assume it's Bob there, but it's not, you know, so it's kind of like we got to let that go and think of Davidson as like, you know, are they good? And to me, I'm just, I'm not drinking Davidson's Kool-Aid right now. Yeah. I think for me, they, they just need to prove it more. And I think long-term Matt McKillop's still going to be a great coach for them. It's just that after some of these bad games, I need to see a little more, but then Tyler, just one other point I wanted to bring up before we get into the middle of the pack, you had St. Louis third, just saying they're one of the more likely teams to disappoint. And I I still kind of agree with you there, even though I picked the Billikens first. I think that just kind of comes down to me feeling like overall, this is one of the weaker A-10s we've seen in the last couple of years. And even though I think I I fully expect the Billikens to drop one or two stinkers in the conference season, I feel like 14 and four, maybe, maybe even 13 and five is good enough for a share of first place this year. And I, I don't think you're going to need to be perfect. The league is just so flawed from top to bottom that you're not going to need to be great all season to finish high. There's going to be slip ups everywhere, I think. Oh yeah. And the way that I see this, I think that the difference between my third and your first might literally be a game. Oh yeah. Or maybe two. Like, I just, I don't love the way that St. Louis matches up against a lot of different teams in this conference for even someone like Fordham, who I feel like can really rough them up. All the more physical teams in this A-10 are going to cause St. Louis some problems this year. But to counter all the Davidson stuff, like I said, this is the chaos year. I want to just bet on the ceiling right now. And to me, I'm trying to figure out if it's not Dayton or St. Louis, who can get to the probably 14 games you have to win to win this conference? And it was really two other teams. It was Davidson, who could just really get carried by Lauren Menenga for half of those wins, the way that they've been playing. And the other one is Richmond. And honestly, Richmond still perplexes me more than any other team in this conference. The defense is great. And... I think Burton is clearly one of the three best players in this conference right now. It's him, Collins, and Holmes in whatever order you want to put them at the moment. But I just, I don't know. I, every time I watch them, I still feel like their offense is a little bit lost. Like they're just, it, it feels like they're just missing one more guy to keep the ball moving. Basically, they're missing the hypothetical preseason version in Neil Quinn. Yeah. It was tough to fill Grant Golden's shoes after all those years of eligibility, but 
that's why I'm high on Richmond. I, I do think as Neil Quinn plays more games, same with their new point guard, Jason Nelson, like those guys are going to keep getting more comfortable. So that's why I'm optimistic. The Spires just, will improve. I just don't know who I trust to, to be a playmaker besides Burton or Nelson. And that's my biggest issue there. Well, speaking of not knowing who to trust, why don't we go ahead and get into the middle of the pack? So this year, the pillow fight starts at 10th place. So why don't we go five through nine here and stop just before that point? Uh, Pyle, why don't you give us your next couple teams here? Absolutely. So five, uh, as I said just earlier, I have Richmond uh, just because I think UMass beats him in the tiebreaker. Uh, I really like Burton and Nelson together. Uh, really, really like Jason Nelson. Um, I, I don't think I can say enough good things about him. Like he's going to give uh, Mongolian Mike a run for his money for a 10 rookie of the year. Um, at six, I have George Mason and that's me buying into Josh Oduro, figuring it out. Cause I mean, I think we can all agree. He has not been living up to the status of where, he needs to be or where he's been in the past. And I'm banking on him figuring it out. Um, and that's going to kind of jumpstart George Mason into that, you know, preseason top four. I mean, I don't think they're going to get that high, but six is where I think they're going to get to. Um, seven, I have Duquesne. Um, I do agree they're a good team. I really, I do like them. Um, Dan Brott's done actually a pretty decent job after last year's debacle of a year, but right now I don't think they're really battle tested enough, you know, against good teams. I mean, they played Marshall and they lost um, New Mexico state and they lost obviously Kentucky. They lost, but um, the only real game they can hang their hat on is UC Santa Barbara. And, you know, after that, there's really not a lot of meat. DePaul, I bone. think you can give them both of those. Yeah, I guess that's true, too. I don't know. Maybe I just have that DePaul bias because, uh, you know, they're just not a good Big East team to me. But um, to me, there's not that much meat on the bone for me to trust Duquesne. But I do like them as a top half team. Um, eight, I have Davidson. Um I think they're going to figure it out, like you said, but I don't think it's enough to where they're going to compete for, you know, anything higher than eighth. And then ninth, I have Fordham just because I, you know, there's a lot of, I, I, I don't even know if I want to say a lot of, but there's some hype from the Fordham fan base about this team and on Twitter with 810 Twitter, um, you know, they have the easiest schedule in the country. Now, it says a lot going 12 and one. I mean, I will give them that. Like when you put us together, a schedule like that in the non-con, you, I mean, in your Fordham chances are, you're probably going to slip up once or twice, but they have not at all. However, you know, when you look at the last game they played against VMI, they didn't have Darius Quisenberry there and they almost lost in overtime. So like if they just don't have Darius for one game, they're probably going to lose, right? Because VMI is only 319 in the country, and that's that's really bad, and they almost lost. So that's kind of where I was like, you know, with Darius, they're they're going to be a pretty decent team, but without him, they're I feel like it, you know, it's just bet the other team, right? So uh, that's kind of where I'm at with Fordham. It, the Tulane win was nice, but I kind of need to see more, right? 
And then 10, I have Loyola. Um, the Clemson one was really nice. Um, that kind of gave me a little bit more confidence in them. Uh, but everything else is pretty stinky. Uh, you know, they, you know, I don't know. They, they didn't look very good in the season opener against Fairleigh Dickinson, who's terrible. Um, and, you know, I feel like the Clemson win, although it was nice, it's, I feel like it's an anomaly right now. Like it's an outlier. Uh, they kind of showed their true colors against like Stanford. They didn't beat DePaul. Um, you know, they, they really had a, they went 0-3 in their MTE. So, you know, but I think that's 10th is still better than, you know, the four, what is it? The five teams that are still left on the board. So I'll give Loyola 10. All right. Well, the bad news is I'm pretty similar on a lot of my picks, but the good news is that means that we brought on a really intelligent guest. So I I can approve of all of those. I don't really have any big issues, Um, but since I am kind of similar, I'll go into mine next. Fifth. So just outside my top four, I do have UMass. And the big issue here we've seen over the last five games that Noah Fernandes is really important to the Minutemen. And as long as he's out with his ankle injury, they're going to be in big trouble, especially since quietly UMass is a terrible offensive team right now. They actually fell outside the top 200 and 10 palm offense. So that's got to get cleaned up. Sixth, I have George Mason, who after their disastrous MTE in the Virgin Islands, they actually went on a five game or winning streak before losing to Old Dominion um, pretty much at the buzzer. And I I think you hit it on the head where they're playing better basketball, even though Josh Oduro hasn't hit his stride yet. So if he gets back to first team contention again, the Patriots could get really good. Uh, Seventh, I have Duquesne. Overall, I've just not been impressed by their defense all year and also just playing a lot of home games like Duquesne basically to this point, they've won the games they were supposed to win. I feel like they haven't, I don't know, Tyler, you can tell me if I'm wrong. Has Duquesne won a game they weren't supposed to win yet? I just feel like... They've only had one. Yeah, exactly. So we just, we don't really know. Like, they were actually dogs against Colgate. Yeah, that's probably the one. And that was a neutral site. But I, I just can't go too much higher on Duquesne until we see them go on the road. Like, we'll see how this Dayton game goes this week. But... Eighth, I'm going to go with Fordham. Pretty much the same story. We just, we don't know. They have the easiest schedule in Division One so far. And it's a pretty similar position to where we saw them last year when they racked up a bunch of wins early. Um, ninth, I'm going to put St. Bonaventure. And this is me just betting on Mark Schmidt. I know they're in kind of a rough patch right now, but the last couple games, Schmidt has pretty much figured out the rotation where it's just the five starters and then Moses Flowers coming off the bench. And I, I know there were all the jokes last year about him running his starting lineup, the the Iron Man five into the ground, but that's really been when St. Bonaventure's been at their best the last couple of years when they have that core group of players to lean on. And then 10th, I hate to do it, but I'm going with Davidson here as the first team into the pillow fight. And two things that Davidson has done really well since joining the A-10. Shoot the three and get defensive rebounds. 
they're not doing either of those right now. And I'm just concerned that like Foster Lawyer is going to single-handedly win the Wildcats some games, but I love Sam Menanga. Other than that, I, I just don't think he has enough help. And it's just going to continue to be a transition year for Davidson coming off their first place finish a year ago. So I told to me, oh, I sorry, I totally forgot that you said go five through nine because to me, good. the pillow fight is 11 through 14. Damn it. I know. I'm still I, getting all, used to that. <laughs> we're all a part. So now we're all the old men, right? Like we're the boomers of the A10 now because we're, we basically are like the old A10 because we're so used to everything else being different. You know, like we're still calling it the Sears Tower and not the Willis Tower. Like, <laughs> That's sorry. So my bad, but a little teaser, I guess, for the 10th place, right? For the pillow fight. <laughs> oh, absolutely. It's still going to, it's going to take a while to get used to the USA network too. That's still going to be NBCSN for a long time for me. So we'll see once I finally figure that one out. Well, Pyle, you make a good point with the, what the pillow fight was. And I think this is a rough year for the transition because to me, and it, it seems like both of you feel the same way, although with slightly different teams for Matt, I feel like there's a significant gap between 10 and 11. And that's how it was in the preseason as well, although I guess that was maybe more 9-10. Mm-hmm. But for me, I felt like there was a big gap between 10 and 11. Now, I actually had those two teams flipped wrong. I had Rody at 10 and Fordham at 11. If I had had those flip flopped, it, it it's basically the same breakdown as right now. But I'll go into mine. No one mentioned this after I did my top four, but at five, I have VCU. And this is the only spot where I feel like I could get a lot bolder and am just kind of hedging out of fear. I was so in on this team until about mid December, somewhere right around losing to Temple, was where I started to to jump off the way that everyone else has on Davidson. I went, I got off the ship with VCU. And the biggest problem for me is I think it's now just becoming clear that whether it's a development thing or an offensive strategy thing, but Mike Rhodes' time at VCU just doesn't produce quality second, third, fourth options in your offense. If there was ever a year where this team was going to have a balanced attack coming from a bunch of guys, it's right now with Jaden Nunn and Jameer Watkins and Ace. And this is all despite the fact that Brandon Johns Jr. is, I think, a better offensive player than anyone would have predicted coming into the year. But this team's just not producing well enough on the offensive end to carry them into the top four for me. The defense is a about as good as it typically is. 44th in Ken Palm is down a little bit from the better Mike Rhodes teams. But to me, this just kind of feels like the 2019-20 VCU team. The one that in February just completely cratered after Marcus Evans got hurt because he was the only way their offense was good. And as great as Ace Baldwin is, his body's beat up by now been through a lot physically in the last two years and if they lose him for like six games i don't care who they're playing they could go zero and six because they're just not scoring right now and in my original draft i had them more in the seven eight range 
partially because I feel like five, six, seven to me are all kind of equal, but I, I don't feel good giving them a double buy. Now, the one way I'm wrong, Jameer Watkins, 22 points against Northern Illinois, 18 against Navy. And if there's ever a guy to become that number two option, it's him. But I watched way too many games this year, and I watched way too many games February and March of his freshman year where you'd have VCU on for 15 minutes and start wondering, wait, was Jameer Watkins on the court in this game? He does it way too much. But God, I, God, I fear that he could get going and make me look stupid, more so than anything else in, in all of these predictions. Six, I'll take UMass. It's kind of a similar thing to VCU. We talked about this on the last pod. Their defense is excellent. Their defense is win the A-10 tournament level excellent. The only guys who can create something for themselves or for others on their offense are Fernandes, who's also always hurt, and Matt Cross. And I feel like this team's kind of in the same spot that I put them in back in September, where they're somewhere right outside the top four. But the pathway to being in title contention is not that crazy to figure out. It's Fernandes playing closer to the guy that he was when he started to feel fully healthy at the end of last year. And it's either Tafari Gapare or Matt Cross just being an unquestioned all-conference guy. But if that doesn't happen, they're somewhere around 500, probably finishing on the better side because they'll have a game where they play terribly but hold their opponent to 50 and they win anyway. And then at seven, I'll go with Richmond, even though... I think the ceiling is far higher. This is one where I could be wrong on the back end, but I just I feel like if it comes down to one game, I'd rather have BC or UMass's defenses than Richmond's. Eight is Fordham. Basically, the only comparative we have is last year, where they went 500. This team has traded a little bit of their interior defense, losing Ohams, for what is now a better perimeter offense between the step ups that Quisenberry and Rose and Charlton have all taken. And in the end, I feel like this is a 500 team. If I had to make one record prediction right now, I am extremely confident that Fordham is going to go nine and nine. And I like a rematch of last year's eight, nine game in that battle between them and George Mason. Look, I get it. I, I don't think you guys having them at, I think five and six respectively is crazy at all. But every time I watch them this year, I have been left with nothing to believe in their offense getting any better than where it is. Their defense is better this year. It's a credit to multiple guys on the roster. It's a credit to English. And it's a credit to Ginnika Ojiako, who is just a way better defender than anybody they had coming off the bench last year. But Oduro just has not done it all year. Victor Bailey Jr., he had a great game against, I didn't pull this up, but whoever they lost to right before the break, oh, Old Dominion. He dominates the first half and then makes two buckets the rest of the game. He's 17 at the half. And that's kind of just the story of George Mason's whole offense this year. And once again, I just feel like they're somewhere around a 500 team. They're going to have a three-game stretch where everything goes great and they wow us and we talk about can they get into the top four, but they're going to throw up more clunkers than anybody. And then 
Lyola barely slips into the pillow fight at 10. I almost put them above Mason. They're they're a decent team. I think they're better than what people have been talking about with them clearly being in the bottom six. I don't think that that's true. Norris is going to drag them through the mud. The defense is getting better. And they finally figured out who they are and who their best guys are. All right. Well, I mean, that that was good. I, I When you're talking about Mason being a 500 team, I'm getting flashbacks to last year where they beat Maryland early on, get a lot of buzz around the team, and then that's exactly what happened. I think they finished ninth last year, like you said. They finished under and, 500 last year. Yeah. And, like, I am, and I'm not 100% sure how they're better this year. They might the defense not be. is better, but as much as I want to believe that they can get their offense back to last year's levels, like per the eye test, it, it just doesn't seem possible. Even though it should, because Bailey's as good as Schwartz. Polite's better than he was last year. Yeah, Polite's actually playing quite well. And I think if he just gets a little bit more consistent too, where you look at his last couple games, he's had a lot of double digit scoring nights. And then other times he'll just kind of be absent and not make an impact. So at least they did find an answer, like who would be the, the key point guard throughout the season. If he gets more comfortable and just puts up more consistency along with Oduro, like at, at this point, I'm not expecting him to be a player of the year candidate like he was last year, but it just seems like he has more room to go up than just about anybody other than maybe Javante Perkins from St. Louis. Yeah, and the one other thing for Mason for me is maybe Dinkins or Fernandes does just become a, a bit, or Fernandez. This is not Noah, this is Justin. <laughs> if one of those two freshmen really gets it going early in conference play, then this this team has a different ceiling. Yeah, you know what's funny? Uh, you mentioned, you know, the 10th place team is a pillow fight team. But it feels like that spot is there's a huge gap from 11 through 15, right? Which is really funny because no pillow fight team has ever made it to has ever like won a game past their first team, right? Like for all intents and purposes, we're going to talk about this later. They've never they've never made it to Friday, which is like really interesting now as far as a betting standpoint, but. I guess in just the A10 landscape standpoint, right? Because you, I think what it, we have, we have Loyola, and then Matt. Who did you say you had at ten? I had uh, I had Davidson at ten, but Saint Bonaventure at nine. So I think I might have been the only one of us to have the Bonnies avoiding that first round. Yeah, you did because I did, and so did well, Tyler. I don't want I don't want to play Saint Bonaventure in the six if I'm the six seed. No. I don't think Saint Bonaventure wants to play on. The pillow fight, they're going to be tired. <laughs> That's very true. All right, Pyle, why don't you wrap up our conference standings with your 11 through 15? Okay, so 11, I have GW. Um, I know that Lindo's hurt. I get it. Um, I still feel like Bishop's still – I feel like Bishop is still going to – you know, just jack up shots and get his stats, which is what we all need from a GW team at this point in the year. Um, and 
I actually think they'll be all right, even without Lindo. Because uh, believe it or not, I mean, they're the ninth best team in the country at two point percentage. So I don't know if that's going to be a huge drop off with Lindo out, but I really like this Maximus Edwards kid who's going to come in probably and replace a lot of those minutes. So, um, you know, I, I actually, you know, it's 11th place, so it's not like say I'm like GW, but I feel like they have more lipstick on themselves than the others. <laughs> so for 12, I actually have St. Joe's. So I know St. Joe's has been kind of the laughing stock of the late 10, especially since their program has such high standards and high regard for itself based off of what Phil Martelli built there. But, you know, the last couple games, I've kind of thought they've played a lot better. They played a, a lot better than I think anyone thought against Villanova. Um, you know, they beat a couple really bad teams really easily, which is not something you can say about too many St. Joe's teams under the Billy Lang era. Um, you know, I feel like they're heading in the right direction but it's not going to be good enough to get out of the pillow fight, but I feel like it's good enough to beat, you know, the likes of the three that I have left, which are Bana, Rhodey, and LaSalle. So uh, for 13, I have St. Bonaventure. Um, I just feel like they're heading in the wrong direction. They just don't look good. I mean, yeah, they beat Notre Dame, but like what is Notre Dame these days anyway? Um, you know, they've lost four in a row. They got trounced by Iona. They lost to Florida Gulf Coast, Siena, Northern Iowa. So, you know, I just, you know, I don't think they're going to, they might even finish lower. I just don't think this team is very good. The defense is okay, but at the end of the day, like if they can't score, then they're not going to win a lot of games. Um, 14, I have Rhode Island. Um, this is just one of those years that, I think we can all say from just watching the Archie Miller era that you just got to get through the first year and then Archie's going to turn this thing around. I really feel that way. Um, they did beat the flagship in UMass Lowell, which is great. Uh, but then they turned right around and lost to uh, Georgia State, who's not good. So um, for me, Rhodey is kind of one of those teams where I feel like they're going to win some sort of big game against a good opponent like a Richmond or a UMass. And but they're going to lose the majority of the other ones. And it's going to be really funny because they're going to go like three and 15 or four and 14. And those four wins are going to be against like good teams. And it's like like their wins are going to ruin another team's chances of getting in the top four. Like, that's what I feel about this team. And then 15, unfortunately, is LaSalle. Um, they're just not good. The offense is bottom 300. Um, I, I struggle to find anything good that they do. I mean, if you want to really look for something good they do, they kind of get good steals. They kind of offensive rebound or rebound well on the defensive boards. But, like, what is that going to do for you? So, um, yeah, LaSalle, I mean – Lo love the fan base, love the guys over there at goal standard, but I feel like it's just, I don't know. It's just going to be a rough year for LaSalle.
Yeah, no disagreements there. Unfortunately for our friends over at Tom Gold Arena, but I'll get in with my 11 through 15. 11, I have Loyola Chicago, and really what it comes down to, I, I think we're at the point in the year where preseason expectations, especially for a team that was new to the conference and where we didn't have as good of a grasp on what they would look like, I don't think we need to pay attention to that as much anymore. And at this stage in the year, that other than the Clemson game, can we really say the Ramblers have played a great game this year? I mean, they had a good first half against DePaul before blowing that in overtime. So they just need to prove some more to me. Still a really bad uh, turnover-prone team as well. 12th, I'm going with GW. I was really disappointed they went 0-3 at Diamond Head because they played so well against Washington State and then came up just short after a late three-pointer. But overall, I think Chris Caputo has them doing some things really well. Like you mentioned, really good two-point shooting team. I think he's gotten James Bishop sharing the ball with his teammates. And also it's resulted in Brendan Adams having a breakout season. So overall, that offense is a lot more enjoyable to watch than it was under Jamie and Christian. The problem is just on the defensive end. They're very small. Um, they let all their opponents at Diamond Head just get to the rim at will. St. Joe's at 13, nothing really to add. They just didn't do anything in the non-conference to warrant a much higher spot. Rhode Island at 14th, and I think what it just comes down to, if you look at Archie's track record, outside of his first maybe two seasons at Dayton, his teams have always been more built on defense. And that's the case this year with Rhode Island, but I think in order for him to have a good offensive team, he just needs more skill around him. And clearly that's not it at Rhode Island this year. So maybe they can muck it up enough, get enough rebounds and block shots to hang in there and be competitive against some of the good teams, but they're just going to have a hard time putting up enough points consistently. And then 15th, I also have LaSalle and, you know, thinking about it some more this might be just one of the least talented teams that Fran Dunphy's ever coached. I mean, we have to remember he was really good consistently at Penn and Temple. When we knew this was going to be a tough rebuild, I don't think this year takes anything away from his coaching abilities. This was just an Explorers team coming off a couple of tough seasons. And at the end of the day, just not really up to standards to compete in the A-10 this year. All right, we've spent too much time on these bottom teams, so I'll do one sentence each here to make up for my long soliloquy in the middle. All right, 11, George Washington. It's just because of Bishop and Adams, although I am afraid that they're going to lose one or two stupid games because they get a tight whistle and just lose Lindo and Dean for basically the entirety of it. Bonaventure at 12 because of Schmidt, Luke, and Farrell. It's just better than what's below them. 13, I'll take Rhode Island because of the guards and because of Archie, even though the rest of that roster might just truly be awful. 14, LaSalle, Dunphy will keep them playing hard no matter how bad they are, and that'll make a difference against one of these bad teams late in the season. And then St. Joe's, who's probably more talented than two, maybe three of the teams above them, but they're so sloppy. 
all they do is just chuck the ball up. And that's not going to go well if these guys start quitting on Lang late in the season or if the school starts quitting on him. And it really feels like St. Joe's could end the year on like a 9-10 game losing streak. Seems like you bought into coaching for the bottom four more than the team itself. I think that matters just as much, if not more, when we're talking about bad teams. Yeah. That where motivation becomes such a huge thing. And going off my St. Joe's thing, I'll wrap this up with a stat of the day. For how good Duquesne has been this year, their record for 2022, and they still have two games left, is 11-20 and 20 on the year. So everyone just let that sink in. Wow, yeah. You want to talk about ending the year on a big-time losing streak? I, is there a possibility of a team going like 2-16, 1-17 this year? Or is... Are there enough like bad teams at the bottom where they're going to beat up on each other enough? I don't think it's happening this year. No, it's yeah. too, it's too, it's too crunched together. And, you know, we could be wrong about our little 11, 15 prediction because, you know, some of those, I mean, teams shit like four through nine or whatever, they all have terrible losses. Right. So like, what's to say that they're not going to lose to like in a LaSalle or a, a GW or a Bonaventure or Joe's, you know, like they're, I mean, I bet the bottom of the conference or whoever ends up at the bottom might end up with like five wins, five or six wins. And that's still, I mean, that's not good, but that's probably better than we expect from some of those bottom feeders that we talk about. Right. Someone is going to miss out on a double buy by a game because they lost to a Philly team. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly right. <laughs> I feel even more confident about that than Fordham going nine and nine. All right, so now we'll go over to our predictions for the all-conference first team. And since we always do this as a five-man team and not the six that's on the actual A-10 postseason awards, we'll give our five five key players who are going to end up deserving at the end of the season Pyle, why don't you start us off here? Absolutely. Um, so honestly, I thought I thought this when you guys sent me this, I thought this was a pretty easy question because like most of the all A10, the first team players are back this year, right? So like it's like, you know, are you going with these guys? Like, or who are you buying to drop off? You know? So for me, I went with Dron Holmes. Um not that because I think he's my the player of the year, um, but he's just been sensational since getting back from the Bahamas. I feel like he's turned his game around. Um, plus, I think Dayton is starting to realize like, oh, hey, we should get him the ball like 100 times a game or just literally on every possession. So I think he'll just end up being first team. Um, number two, I have Yuri Collins. Obviously, he leads the nation in assists um i think he'll end up being player of the year as well um if you lead the nation assists plus uh you know he's still a decent off offensive threat um you know he's he's just been sensational however i will say to um if we're even talking about player of the year um you know the the coaches vote for bucket getters for the most part so depending on who among these five guys are going to lead you know, be the top 
scoring per game player, that's probably who's going to win. And if that's the case, it might be Duran. But anyway, that's probably for another conversation for another time. Uh, my third guy is Tyler Burton. Um, you know, he's, he's also really good. I mean, there's not much more to say. He's going to carry this Richmond team. Um, like he has been every year. Well, the last two years that he's been there. And then the last two, um, you know, I had to really think about it a bit, but it's kind of like, you know, I'm, these guys haven't been good right now, but I'm going to kind of say that they get it together, um, to be at a first team all conference performer. So my first guy is Foster Lawyer. Um, I feel like he's going to figure it out. Um, the beginning of the year, he was sensational. He had two back-to-back 30-point games, but you know he's had a bit of a drop-off. But that comes with the better competition. They played the number one team in the country, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know they're gonna, the competition's going to step down a little bit. Um, so I feel like he's going to get it together. And then my fifth is Josh Oduro, um, out of Mason. I. I'm like I said before in the previous segment, I'm going to buy that. He's figuring it out too. Um, I feel like he's too good of a player to not figure it out. So, um, you know, I'm going to buy into him and lawyer a little bit. Um, and then I, I did want to do an honorable mention just because that's that sixth guy. Um, Cause the team does do it, but we are more traditional podcast as I'm getting uh, a whiff of. So my honorable mention to this list is day day grant. Um, this dude's a baller. Um, I really like him a lot out of Duquesne. Um, you know, I, I the couple of games I've watched from Duquesne, uh, the dude just wants to score. Um, he plays downhill. Um, he's been exceptional, and he's one of the top scorers in the league. So if Duquesne, like you know, like Tyler said, is going to be a factor in this top four race, and if Duquesne actually gets there, it's going to be because of him, and he will probably get into that first team all conference list as that sixth guy if you had to pick one for this so there's my five all right i think that's a good list mine is overall pretty similar so i'll get into that next uh right now i have yuri collins i think as both the non-conference player of the year and also my prediction for that award as well simply because he is almost guaranteed to lead the country in assists for the second year in a row and that's going to get a lot of people's attention. I also just don't think he's responsible for many of St. Louis's struggles. He's having individually an even better season than last year. I think next I'll go with Duron Holmes of Dayton, who, like you said, has played much better since the Flyers disappointing MTE in Atlantis. And I just could see him as one of the leading scorers while also getting a lot of attention for his shot blocking abilities, and he could very well lead the conference in blocks by the end. Next, uh, Tyler Burton just has been carrying Richmond at times this year, and if the Spiders end up with a double buy, like I'm predicting, predicting he's going to be a huge reason why. Fourth, I'm going to have Ace Baldwin, and I wouldn't put him on the team for what he's done just yet, just since he missed a handful of games due to a couple different injuries. But by the end of the year, I think he's shown that he is crucial to VCU's success, both offensively and defensively. And I have a couple stats for him I want to get into more later. But my final pick, kind of coming between Foster Lawyer and James Bishop. So two guys that 
on teams that have struggled at times this year, I'm going to end up going with Foster Lawyer here just since I trust him a little bit more to maintain really high efficiency on the volume of shots that he's taking. Although I do want to recognize James Bishop. I think he has clearly been one of the five best players in the A-10 so far this season. I just think playing for GW, they're more likely to be further down the standings, and I don't see it playing out that way. Although I I could definitely see him on the second team uh, in the postseason this year. Yeah, look, I'm not going too far away from this. The stars are the stars. And this is incredibly stupid, but four of my five guys are also guys that I would have had on my own non-conference first team. Yuri Collins has been the best guard in the league so far. If St. Louis is in the top four, he's on the team without a doubt and is probably one of the two guys in deepest contention for player of the year right now. To me, if Dayton wins this conference and wins it convincingly, it's because of the two-headed monster on both ends of the court. So I'm putting Deron Holmes and Tumani Kamara on there. The all-non-conference team probably didn't warrant two flyers for how they've played to this point, but if they begin to play better in the 2023 portion of the season, it will. Uh, Foster Lawyer, who I did not have on the all-non-conference team due to that December slump that I mentioned earlier, but he is the engine for Davidson. Any great season that the Wildcats have is because him and Sam Menanga are absolutely excellent. And then the final spot to Tyler Burton, who's 19 and nine, who is just as good as Collins and Holmes, but might just be saddled with a, with not quite as good teammates. If Richmond's above 500 and he plays the way he's been, he has to be on the first team. And then my honorable mention, since this is a prediction would go to Ace Baldwin. He's just so, so critically important for, an otherwise kind of mediocre VCU team, even if they don't get the double bye, I just think he wins out over anyone over Duquesne because, quite frankly, at this point, I just think the middle of the Dukes roster and the depth is just better than the Rams. So overall, pretty similar answers across the board for first team, which I think is to be expected based on how it's played out this year. A lot of established stars coming back to have strong seasons to this point. But I think next, let's move into our all-rookie predictions. And this is where I'm really curious to hear your guys' thoughts. There haven't been a ton of freshmen just lighting it up this year. A couple guys playing really well, but maybe not standing out quite as much. So, Pyle, why don't you start us off here with some of your all-rookie team selections, and hopefully we get a few more differences here across the three of us. Yeah, I think I think we're going to see at least two similarities across all three and those two are probably Mongolia Mike and Jason Nelson, right? Um, you know, I feel like everyone knows who Mongolia Mike is at this point. Um I mean, when you have a kid who comes in here from another country who's the first D1 athlete from that country, I feel like that alone is going to get him on this list, but he's also a stud. And um, if only he could stay on the floor and not get as much foul trouble, like I feel like he might make an all-conference team. Um, but for being all-rookie team, um, I feel like that's pretty much a shoe in at this point. And then Jason Nelson out of Richmond, um, pairing nicely with Tyler Burton. Um, you know, he's been a really good player for them. 
Um, I really like him and he's going to be really good. Hopefully he stays in Richmond. And then uh, the next couple, I think we might have, or at least have a somewhere around the same. Um, but the next one for me is Tafara Kapare out of UMass. Um, we've heard a lot about him on UMass Twitter. So we had, to, I had to actually sit down and watch him and I, I feel like he's an electric player. Um, he's really, he's really good. But the thing is he's off the bench and he doesn't get too many minutes with UMass. And I feel like that's a very big, uh, you know, that's a very gripe with Frank Martin right now. Um, cause he's only getting 24% of the minutes, but by the end of the year, I feel like he'll be on that all rookie team. And then the next two, I have Jan Farrell out of St. Bonaventure. Um, you know, these last two, it's pretty much like, you know, who else is a rookie in this league? And then you have to look around a little bit and then you're like, oh yeah, Jan Farrell, like actually like a, a decent, um, freshman for St. Bonaventure, um, shoots well from two and from three. Um, you know, he, he's a decent little player and he's, he's going to be, hopefully he stays with Bonaventure for, uh, the next couple of years. And then, Finally, I have Ben Schweiger out of Loyola because I felt like we need a Loyola person in here. I know they haven't been very good, um, but I've heard a lot about this kid from the Loyola faithful, and he's not a bad player. Um, you know, he's he's a pretty decent three-point shooter. Loyola is actually, if people aren't well aware of what they do well, it's effective field goal percentage. Like, I feel like they're like a poor man's Davidson or Richmond or even Dayton. Um, and he fits into that mold really well with Drew Valentine's scheme. So I actually really like a Loyola player to get on this list in particular. Um, so I'll go with Ben Schweiger on that. And then I just want to mention it because I mentioned it before. Uh, GW's Maximus Edwards. I feel like he might have a shot to get on there. Um but he's my honorable mention at this point. So there's my, there's my rookies. All right. This is like a radio show. This is more for the next segment, but we do have a surprise guest on the show. Stu Ledecky from busting brackets. Who's your rookie of the year pick? <laughs> oh man. <laughs> Throw me right into the fire. Um, Let's see. Oh God. Rookie of the year. I gotta, I gotta believe in my own guys and believe that, uh, player development uh is gonna work out at UMass and I'll go that uh Tafara Gapare takes a huge leap over conference play. All right. I probably I'm not even missing a beat. That's that's a perfect answer. <laughs> no shit. I was I was I was reading my notes and then I come back after doing my monologue and there's Stu on my screen. And I'm just like what is happening right What's now? What's up <laughs> what up Stu? Did you come on Thanks. when I said when I was talking about Gapare? No I, I missed Every single rookie that was discussed, I just hop in like 30 seconds ago. So I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm glad I had a common uh, denominator there. Fantastic. Well, yeah, he that's was one of my right. guys for sure. We will keep it rolling with the rookie teams and then Stu will be here for our hot takes. So Matt, you want to you wanna fire out your old rookie team for us? Yeah, I can do this quick since they're overall pretty similar. And for me, I had three clear answers, which were actually... A little bit different than Piles. Uh, Jason Nelson, who I've been high on all season, even before the season, a clear pick for me, averaging double figures. Uh, 
three assists per game, a key piece to Richmond's offense. I think Maximus Edwards is also a slam dunk choice, averaging 10 and 5 right now. And watching him in Diamond Head, especially with Ricky Window maybe being out for a little bit, he's one of the only guys that crashes the boards for GW. So he'll be important. And then my other slam dunk pick, Jan Farrell's averaging nine and a half points and seven and a half, seven and a half rebounds. So really important to the Bonnie's defense, which has been strong so far. And he's clearly earned Schmidt's trust early on in his career. But my last two picks, Mike Sharv jumps, I included. And I think this was part of my bias, just watching every Dayton game and being frustrated with him uh, down the stretch recently where he's had some quieter games. But I think it's, Easy to forget just how impressive it is what he's doing as a true freshman, being thrown into the fire as Dayton's point guard. And overall, I think he'll continue to develop this season. And then my last pick ended up also being Ben Schweiger, which a lot of that just has to do with Loyola playing better basketball once he got thrown into the starting lineup after the Ramblers went 0-3 in Myrtle Beach. But he's averaging 9.5 points, shooting efficiently from the field, and I think earlier in the season, we thought it might be Dawson or Quinn that stepped up for Loyola, but I think it's Schweiger that's been their most valuable freshman. So for me, uh, Matt, I had the same three easy picks. Jason Nelson, enough has been said about him already. He is probably the favorite for rookie of the year at the moment, at least. Uh, Maximus Edwards, who's just absolutely electric with the ball in his hands. He is going to be a 20-point-per-game scorer, or at least, I guess that, that's more of an NBA number, but at least 18 a game once Adams and Bishop have moved on. And if E.J. Clark's going to be out a while and he starts playing big minutes, he's going to prove how important he is to the Colonials. Jan Farrell, just an all-around awesome glue guy who is a machine on the boards. He leaps like a lunatic. And then, for me leaving out Schweiger and Barry Evans and a few other good candidates, it comes down to three super high ceiling guys for two spots. And we've talked about two of them already, but if I have Davidson in second place, that's because Reed Bailey has a hell of a conference season. He is on the same level of talent as a guy like Tafara Gapari, at least offensively. And I just think that the big breakout is coming. I've been calling for this for a month and a half now, and I'm just going to keep saying it. And then I'll give my last spot to Tafara Gapare because I think UMass just needs him more than Dayton needs Mike Sharv jumps. Look, Sharv jumps is one of the five most talented rookies in this league, but he has struggled to shoot the ball since a hot start early in the year. And if that three point jumper doesn't come back, then he's just not going to be, at an all-rookie level the rest of this year. And when Malachi Smith comes back in, he's going to take his starting spot. And I think we start to see Sharv Jumps as the year goes on as just kind of more of a, a hot and cold guy where he can come in, make some plays. He'll have a few nights where he is incredible and earns 25 to 30 minutes, has six assists, gets close to 10 points. But there's going to be games like Wyoming when these other guards get back where – if he doesn't have it early on, he might just be playing little five-minute stints here and there each half. All right. So overall, pretty similar thoughts across all of us. But it'll be interesting to see 
who emerges as that rookie of the year by the end, because I, I think Nelson, I would agree, is the favorite right now. The last couple weeks, we've seen the ceiling with Maximus Edwards and Tafari Gapara. And then we just know, too, Mongolian Mike Charv Johns coming in as maybe the most hyped freshman in the league. He had his moments early in the season and has cooled off a bit, but I don't think you can count him out just yet either. So a lot of good names to keep an eye on. And definitely nobody has run away with an award to this point. All right. So we're going to close this episode out with the introduction of the Power 11 hot takes, which, for your knowledge, are brought to you uh, to all of us by Aaron Rodgers. Just like the A-10, a consistently pretty strong winner who just hasn't gotten it done this year, Aaron Rodgers. Also brought to you by Southwest Airlines. Not the best way to get around, but always seems to get the job done. Not right now. Disappointing us just like the A-10, Southwest Airlines. And we mentioned in our earlier episode, this is just not a great year for the A-10. They're sitting 11th in the country in conferences in both Net and Ken Palm. And so we have 11 hot takes for the Power 11 hot takes. And we couldn't rebrand this segment if Stu wasn't here. Thanks for having me back, boys. So, Stu, you got a hot take to start us off here? Yeah. Um, and for the listeners, uh, I hopped on this real last minute, so I tried to scramble to get some hot takes. So I hope they're not uh, A, taken, or B, uh, not up to snuff with the other ones. But I'll, I'll set it off with the inaugural hot take of, uh, I think, last year, one of my hot takes was that no team goes better than 14 and four. I'll turn it down a game this year and I'll say no team goes better than 13 and five. I think the winner of the league in the regular season is 13 and five because there's just no juggernauts. I mean, gun to my head, it's slower Dayton. Um, but even they, it's just like, are they really that much better than the UMass VCUs Davidson's of the world? I don't think so this year. So I'll say uh, a lot of parody in the league this year. And I know that was a hot take last year, but even more so. All right, Pyle, I'm sorry. I got to jump you here in the order with hot take number two, because it, it lines up too perfectly with what Stu just said. So does mine. So does right, mine. Actually, so- no, let's, let's, let's go with yours here then. Let's go. So I legit, the first one I have here is... Dayton or Slough is going to win a conference with either a 15 and three or 16 and two record. I feel like those teams are that much better than the rest of the field to the point where they're not going to drop more than either of them are going to not going to drop more than three stinkers in conference. And the thing is they play each other twice. So like, I feel like each one of them is get They're going to beat each other once, you know, there's their one loss. And then they'll probably drop maybe either Slurdane's going to drop one more stinker and that is one stinker. And that's it. I really feel like they're head over heels better than everyone else. It's just the con- the non-conference schedule and results have kind of put a curtain over what's going to happen in a 10 play. This is wonderful because I have a two-parter here and it slides right in the middle of what both of you just said. Dayton will win this conference by multiple games. 
Hot take number three, because over two thirds of the league will win between seven and 11 games this year. We will have 10 teams in the middle, probably somewhere about third to 12th that will just come in somewhere right around 500. That's the truest form of the chaos league here. And this is part of the reason why I feel comfortable letting Davidson figure things out and picking them in second, because by the way, we didn't talk about this earlier. I think Davidson's going to go 0-2 this week. But 11 games might get you second place, and I'm pretty damn sure that 12's going to get you there. I think if Dayton can get to 14-4, and it's going to be a comfortable title for the Flyers. Wow. Well, I, I don't have one of my hot takes on this, but I will chime in. Uh, first points, Stu, this definitely qualifies as a hot take because since the 18-game schedule dropped in 2015, this has never happened before. There's always been someone with at least 14 wins. Or I guess mm-hmm. I'll throw out the COVID-shortened season. But I, I think it could definitely happen this year. I mean, I picked St. Louis first, and you know very well I don't trust Travis Ford and the Billikens to run through and dominate, so I could see them getting it done. I, I think I'd say 14 wins, but I could see 13 happening. And then for Dayton, the notion of them winning more than 14, I just I can't trust them to happen. They still have, I think it's two top 200 wins right now. And I know the A-10 isn't a gauntlet by any means, but look, the Flyers have played well recently, but it's all come against bad teams. And I just need to see them get it done a couple of times in more difficult games before I get that fired up. My my rationale, um, it is that I'm more so than Pyle believe that... Uh, the teams are closer together as far as that tier A and tier B, but um, Dayton and SLU also have particularly difficult conference slates. Um, like SLU, I, I tweeted about it earlier, but um, they have a stretch where it's like every other game they're playing, like seven game stretch of at Dayton versus Davidson versus Duquesne at Richmond, Loyola at VCU and then Dayton. And then I'm looking at Dayton's, uh, conference pairings and the four teams that they have twice it's like slew vcu davidson so i'm just like i I don't think the gap between tier a and tier b is enough to make that not matter i think that's gonna play a huge role and i think that there's no team because i do like slew and dayton more than everyone else um but i just think that that's gonna be tough uh to overcome this season yeah and and as we know too from the preseason the a10 did not make it a balanced schedule they really tried to boost up the perceived top teams and unfortunately none of them got it done in the non-conference but that is a good point and for my first power 11 hot take i will keep it with dayton i know i just had deron holmes on my first team but that was more of a prediction and that has to do with him we we know he's going to score a ton of points get a lot of blocks that's what gets recognition in these awards but to me Tumani Kamara is the best player on Dayton and I don't know if this qualifies as a hot take but I don't think many people would agree 
And the second part of this, I think he's the deserved defensive player of the year in the conference right now. One of only two players in the league, along with Jalen Deloach of VCU, to be top 15 in both block rate and steal rate. I think all around, he should be in the discussion for player of the year and hasn't gotten that credit just since he doesn't score a ton of points, isn't a good three-point shooter. But (laughs) defensively, and the rebounding that he does for the Friars, he's a big reason why they've been able to stay afloat despite having some injuries to me. I think that I think uh, that's definitely a hot take just because it was like over the offseason, if you didn't have Holmes as your A-10 player of the year, you were like an idiot. So I feel like it, it's still early enough where it's like to say he's not even the best player on his own team. I'll take that to qualify for sure. I, I, think, it's a, I think it's a little hot too because they're pretty close on the defensive end. And so much of how well both of them get to play on defense is because the other one's presence enables each other to play the perfect role where Holmes gets to camp around the rim and shot block and Kamara gets to run around the perimeter and try to jump passing lanes. To me, I think Holmes is still the better player just because he just contributes more on the scoring end. Dayton has plenty of great defenders. They have a lot of good rebounders. They don't have enough guys who put the ball in the basket. So the fact that Holmes is better than him there, I still go with Duran. But it's so much closer than people who don't consistently watch Dayton would ever think. I, Matt, you stole my hot take, buddy. <laughs> I had that Tumani Kamara is the better player in Dayton. And I also had that he's going to win Defensive Player of the Year. <laughs> And my throat's like dying out, so my bad if this sounds like shit. But <laughs> he he's leading in defensive win shares, box plus minus, defensive box plus minus, um, defensive rating. Like Kamara is out of this world defensively, and I feel like even defensive player of the year, I feel like most people are thinking, okay, who's got the most steals and who's got the most blocks, right? And when you think of blocks, you're like, oh, definitely Deron Holmes. But, like, Kamara's just been that much better. And I feel like, you know, what Matt said, just to piggyback off of it, is, you know, we've kind of seen over the last two years that Tumani Kamara might be the most important player on Dayton because look what happened last year at LaSalle, a bad LaSalle team. All of a sudden, Kamara's out, and they blow a 17-point lead. And then he's out this year against UNLV halfway through the game. You know, Dayton's winning that game pretty comfortably considering UNLV doesn't have anyone that can out-rebound Kamara. He goes out, and then Dayton can't even, like, pay for a rebound, you know? So I feel like in considering how much attention Deron Holmes gets, that just opens it up for Kamara to be really, really good. So – I'm with Matt on that, and that's exactly where my one of my other hot takes was. So if that piggybacks off of it to be number five, so be it. But, uh, yeah, I'm with you, Matt. All right. I'd love to hear that. And one thing I do want to clarify, too, this was not meant to be a slight on Deron Holmes. I think he's a tremendous player and is having oh, another absolutely. great season. I think it's more just that Kamara has done such a great job finding his role for Dayton where early in his career last year, 
he wasn't being used correctly on the team. He had the ball way too much. But this year where Dayton hasn't had as many guard options, he's done a good job handling the ball. He's gotten more assists recently, which is really impressive. And overall, he just has made his teammates better. He doesn't always look to score, but he doesn't need to. He he just sets others up. And like you said too, Tyler, he allows Duran to stay more focused in the paint and be that rim protector that Dayton needs. And, and real quick on this, because Pyle brought it up, let's make it very clear for people who are looking at Dayton going eight and five in the non-con and saying, well, how can they, how can they win the conference after that? If Tamani Kamara plays the second half against UNLV, they win that game. I say that with 100% confidence. They were throttling the Rebels on the boards when he went out. And UNLV got double-digit offensive rebounds in the second half. And that was what sparked their comeback. So, all right, um, Pyle, you played it perfectly because if anyone's doing the math at home, three times four equals 12. We're doing 11 hot takes. If we do three each, we needed one of them to match up. So we might be in great shape here. But we'll go to Stu here for number five. Uh, gosh, I don't know if it's a hot take at this point because, like, earlier today I see the A10 power rankings on A10 talk and it's like UMass is three. <laughs> but I want to say, like, just because – just as with uh, the schedule pairings – calling for me to say Dayton and SLU uh, finish closer to the pack than they otherwise might. The schedule pairings for UMass lead me to believe that they are a definite double by team. Um, I have them up. Let me pull those up real quick. The teams we play twice are GW, Joes, Fordham, and Rhodey, it looks like. I mean, that's if you're going to get teams to play twice, that's about as friendly as it can get. Um, so I just think, oh, oh, sorry. Um, LaSalle is one of those. Uh, oh, so GW. it's somehow easier than that. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So um, I just have a hard time. There, there's a huge middle of the pack, and I think we can all agree on that. And it includes teams like UMass, Mason, uh, Davidson, Duquesne, Richmond, however you slice it. I think of all those teams, UMass got easily the most friendly schedule pairings, and I'll say that that leads to a slight separation from the rest of the pack there. God, and I intentionally do not look at the schedule when I predict my order because I feel like in the end it all mostly evens out. But UMass playing all three of the three worst teams in this conference twice makes me start to question my decision. And this is the first time that I have ever been swayed by the schedule because it is truly as bad as Stu's trying to emphasize here. <laughs> All right. I, I, think, I think that really matters this year. Like, I think that, like, in a league where, however you slice it, like, I know we can disagree on the amount of parity, but there's obviously a degree of parity. I think you have to look at things like who gets to play the teams that are below, you know, at least 200 on Ken Palm twice. I think that's like every little thing is going to make a difference. Yeah. And that kind of goes along with what I just drew out with. Everyone's going to finish with between seven and 11 wins. Like 
a bad schedule could be the difference between 10 and 11. And that probably will be the gap in the double buy. So, right. Yeah. You change a few things around and UMass could go seven and 11. Like it's, it's that close in the entire middle. So I'll take it for number six on a player specific one here. And that is that Trey Clark of Duquesne is going to make an all conference team. And his performance will be the difference in the final double bye with Duquesne beating VCU to win the tiebreaker. And that game's in January, but it will eventually lead to the Dukes finishing in fourth. It's kind of crazy. Like, Trey Clark's the exact guy that VCU's missing right now, which is another great defender, although Clark certainly could be better on that end if you ask Keith Dambrot, and he's had some disappointing games defensively. But at his best, he's one of the best wing defenders in this league. And he's a dynamic offensive player, a great second or third option that kind of does everything that I think VCU would love Zeb Jackson to be doing right now. And I didn't go through and figure out the exact 18, but we did that thing for Stu where we tried to figure out the all non-conference teams and to me, it was pretty clear that there were only 14 guys playing at that level in November and December. We got to get from 14 to 18 here. And I think when we start getting to the back end of the third team, it's going to be an unexpected guy or two who's at 14, 15 points a game. Trey Clark is the second most valuable guy to Duquesne behind Day-Day Grant because those are simply the two guys that just have less depth behind them. Duquesne's got an abundance of big men. Tevin Brewer's got a really good young backup in Rogier, and Quincy McGriff playing the point a little bit as well. I think if Duquesne gets into the top four, they're going to be rewarded for it, and Trey Clark's the second guy. I think that might need to happen for Duquesne to get a double bye because throughout the season, we, 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 need, we know Day-Day Grant is a stud. I mean, one of the best pure scorers in the conference, but... After him, Duquesne has just had a whole bunch of guys shuffle in and out of the rotation, being good but not great. And I think it needs to be someone like Trey Clark that steps up as a clear second-best player. So I I like that where if he does reach that ceiling, that might be what it takes for Duquesne to be up there as one of the contenders. Yeah, like just thinking about when we did that uh, non-conference, all-conference, like, one of the things that stood out to me was that like over the off season, it was like, okay, Javante Perkins, Yuri Collins and Gibson Jimerson are going to be there somewhere, but like, what's the order of those three. And now it's like, if you had said back then, like what are the odds that Duquesne has more likely all conference players than St. Louis? Like it would have been like, you need help, but now it's like, um, Tyler was right. Like he was messaging me during the all conference, non-conference awards saying like, there are like, I forget what number it was like 16 or so guys that like I was considering. And that was it. And it's just funny to me that like Jimerson and Perkins weren't even like, you didn't even need to consider them for that. You know, like you'd think they'd at least be on the outside looking in, but sorry to go off on the weeds there, but just like there were a lot of interesting things to note doing that exercise. By the way, I'm so bummed that Francis Acora wasn't there. 
in, in the in the all conference non conference awards. Yeah, he just didn't carry through what he did at the end of last season. Yeah. All right. Well, Pulls I can I can keep my next hot take on a, on a similar path. So Tyler, you talked about a former VCU man of steel, but I'll talk about a current one, and that's Ace Baldwin. To me, that maybe this is a hot take in itself. I think the single most impressive stat of the A10 season is that Ace is fourth in the country in assist rate, despite playing on a pretty awful offensive VCU team. And my take is that if Ace maintains, we'll say, a top 10 assist rate nationally, that's enough for the Rams to win the conference and for Ace to be the deserved player of the year. Look, I've said it over and over. VCU doesn't need to be a good offensive team to win the A-10. They just need to be average. And I feel like Ace's play is enough to get VCU there. They just need someone else to step up. You alluded to it earlier, Tyler. Maybe that is Jameer Watkins, who has had two great games to wrap up the non-conference. Brandon Johns has been solid this season. And then I still go back to Jaden Nunn, who was maybe the most hyped sophomore in the league this year. And you look at his last four or five games, he hasn't been that lead scorer that I was hoping for, but he has gotten more efficient for VCU and is doing a better job shooting the ball. So I think Ace is doing as much as he can, and it might just be enough to get VCU in first place if he keeps that assist rate as crazy as it is. If VCU can actually get scoring from guys other than Ace, like I talked about earlier, they are right in the title hunt. But I don't know. It's hot because, like I said earlier, I just don't trust the rest of this roster and the construct of it for these guys to be able to carry VCU without Ace. Yeah, it's uh, easier said than done. And at this point, I'm willing to go down with the ship if VCU just never figures it out and they finish in the middle of the pack, but he's just playing so well. And I, just for the sake of rooting for a fun A-10 season, more than anything, I hope he stays healthy because VCU is such a different team without him. Yeah, even without him, it's like, it's hard to say middle of the pack or or to envision middle of the pack for them because it's just like they're, they're, their defense and their home court advantage is still so real, but it's like, you're right. He really is that much of a difference maker. All right. Final round of hot takes pile. You've been quiet in the corner here for the last few minutes. Kick us off with number eight. Yeah. Um, yeah, I know my throat, dude, this is like, this is like the Jordan pod gate, like flu pod. Like, I don't know what happened. Like this morning I woke up, there was no, my throat didn't feel like crap, and now it does. But yeah, time to must go on. The pod must go on. Okay. That's right. So this is my last hot take, right? Okay. So because I, I wrote a couple down, but I like this one because we haven't really talked a lot about this. We talked a lot about the middle of the conference being shitty. So we haven't really talked about what comes after the season with the coaching. And I really believe you know, that there will be at least two coaching changes after this season. And I only say two because I think we know that's one a hot already. number for this year. I think that's is a hot number for this year. And I think that's, you know, we know the one over in Philly. 
Um, is that for, is that for sure? I that's got to be for sure though, right? Yeah, I feel if, like it's yeah. actually fifty. I mean, 50. I mean, in a logical world, yeah. But with that class, like, if if they haven't done it already, I don't know what it will take. And then there's that class. Well, the thing is, too, is with Joe's, their their AD is on a leave of absence, right? And I feel oh, like, yeah. and she's the one who hired Billy. So you know, there's yeah. no one there to like Might not protect give a shit. Billy. Yeah. yeah. They're like, you know, okay, you're out of here. Bye. <laughs> yeah. You know? So yeah. I think there's going to be one more after that. And it's going to shock. I feel like it's going to shock us, but it's not. Right. And I don't know where that's going to be. I'm not going to say that's one of the, you know, the big three in Dayton, VCU, St. Louis, because it really seems like all three of those fan bases, um, at least partially, are kind of fed up with their coaches. But, you know, you could see it somewhere else. Quite possibly, um, you know, I don't know. It, and that might not be a firing, but it could be a, hey, I'm moving on, um, you know, to bigger and better things. It could be, you know, this isn't for me. I don't know. But I feel like we're going to see more than one in the A-10 this offseason. I oh. feel like if, if there is a second, the one that you mentioned is Travis Ford. And if I was going to guess, I would say that either St. Louis ends up horribly disappointing and they fire him or they kind of get it together. Maybe they do make the NCAA tournament, but he just kind of decides that there's a, a job out there that's a better fit for him rather than kind of continuing to just win 22, 23 games exactly every year at St. Louis. And it could be like a you know, a get out of Dodge situation like Kevin Stallings going from Vanderbilt to Pitt, where you know that there's some unrest in the fan base and administ administration and you just want to get out before anything bad happens. But and the good thing for Ford is he doesn't need an AD anywhere near as dumb as Pitts to hire him. Right. So all, all I'm going to say with this, I I'm not advocating for any of the like top end coaches to get fired but Neither this, am I. Neither this am I. was a really good point by the three-man weave podcast a couple weeks ago and they were talking about this in the context of st louis but i think you can really apply it to dayton too and kind of vcu but not really because they've made two tournaments in the last four years so i give them more slack if you're not going to get in that large bid with this year's team when are you going to like <laughs> Dayton has at least had a couple injuries that you could use as an excuse, but for St. Louis, like we heard all year about how this is their deepest team and they have all these seniors. Well, yeah, the best Ford team ever. I feel like we've heard that three years in a row. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I think he's a good coach, but if they don't win the A-10 tournament, it's going to be disappointing. And I, I'd say kind of the same thing for Dayton. I know they've had tougher circumstances, but a lot of that's also self-inflicted when the Flyers gave themselves absolutely no insurance if one of the guards went down and they just happened there, to have both of them get injured instead. It yep. is is Dayton Twitter's anger at Anthony Grant actually reflective of a hot seat? Like do you think there's like actually that kind of pressure right now? I don't I, think so. I, I think the alum thing I in do. 2020 probably keeps him protected unless they're just flat out awful in these next two months. I do feel like there's a little bit of a, I feel like the seat's warm um, just because, you know, you're coming back from a year, which, 
you know, you you clearly had a team that could have gotten a bid, but they stumbled out of the gate and figured it out late. And now yep. they're stumbling out of the gate again, figuring it out, you know, we think figuring it out when it's too late. Um, you can even say the same thing, what, in what, his second year maybe? I mean, I don't know if I'd hold that against him, but, like, that team stumbled out of the gate. And, you know, now it's late, early. So, and, you know, there's a lot of history to back up that Anthony Grant is not doing, you know, that great of a job. I mean, I think he's doing pretty well, but at the same time, we have one bid in, you know, five years. This year's not over, obviously, but I think, I think, you know, if Dayton or St. Louis does not win the A-10 regular season, because both those teams are talented to win the A-10 easily, right? Like, I feel like both of them are. Mm-hmm. And whoever does not, or it might be both, but let's say one of them wins the regular season title, that coach probably stays, right? Because you won the you won the league. There's no way right. they're going to fire you. Did what you had to do, yeah. Yeah. But the team that does not, that coach is going to be really hot. Because it's like this league really stinks this year, and you yeah. can win with this and it, team. And, and it always like even from the jump from the preseason, it was always about those two teams. So the spotlight was always on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if if Grant and Ford liked each other and had dinner together, they would have a gentleman's agreement to just tie the <laughs> to be co-champs, right? Like that's yeah. <laughs> that that's kind of where I where I would go, but. I don't think we've talked enough about Mike Rhodes. Like VCU is not happy. I mean, the offense is atrocious every single year and he just falls back on the defense. And, you know, they do have a night. They did have bones Highland, but that's, you know, that year, that's just the one year. Everything else has been pretty mediocre. He's gotten two tournaments, but you know, one of those years, the tournament bid was, but COVID shortened the year with Bones, which is great. But then the other year, they won the A-10 at 16-2. and two. But even then, that year was crap. And they didn't win the A-10 tournament. So uh, Marcus Evans year? Yeah. Like that. Yeah. Th- yeah. And they brought back everyone that year, that following that, that year, was, and they were terrible. And too. Like, I think it, it was Bana and Slew in the final game. And I think they were both, like, sub-100 on Ken Palm. <laughs> Yeah, they were yeah. terrible. And yeah, yeah. It's, Marcus Evans got hurt and VCU lost to the nine seed. Rody, right? Yep. Yeah. 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 And I don't feel like it, you know, I know we I know Dayton and Slew are the two teams like you talked about, Stu, but VCU is another one of those where I'm like, is Rhodes kind of hot? I don't know. Uh, it's yeah. you know, it's kind of reading that way, but um, you know, I feel like all three of those guys the seats at least a little warm because they yeah. should be d- being dominant in their own right for how resourceful and good their programs are right i think my, my last comment on this topic the other way that this prediction hits i think is if just LaSalle is awful and fran decides that he's had enough and retires from coaching like, that's ex- yep if LaSalle wins like two more games the rest of the season I could see him just saying, you know what? Like I did my best. I helped out my university, but it's just not going to work out. And I know it it hurts him. Like he doesn't want to end his career like that, but 
it just doesn't look good for the explorers right now. <laughs> they yeah. they hired Fran Dumphy for a gap year because they couldn't find anyone. To I mean, that sell. honestly might be what happened, which I mean, credit to him. He might have taken one for the team there and let LaSalle do a more thorough search when they had have a chance to get a more permanent head coach because we knew it wasn't going to be a long term thing for LaSalle, but just a, another possibility. And it, it, I have a hard time imagining they win more than five. So who knows? Yeah. All, All right, right. Let's shuffle it up, Matt. Give us number nine. Oh, okay. I'm not ready. So I have another player specific one here. And I know a little bit ago, I said that nobody has run away with rookie of the year yet, but I do have someone that is going to, and that's Maximus Edwards from GW. So my hot take he averages you're out on Jason Nelson. That's the hot. No, I'm not. He's going to have a great season too, but Edwards is going to be special. He will average 15 points a game the rest of the year with increased playing time. Uh, he's just critical to GW. He, he brings so much energy on both ends. And I, the second part of this, more of a long-term bet, I think going into next year, he will be preseason. I'm not going to say first team, but preseason second team for the simple reason that almost everybody from GW is going to be gone. They have a whole bunch of seniors and graduate students on the team right now. It it kind of comes down to if James Bishop uses his COVID year of eligibility, whether it's at GW or maybe somewhere else. But I just think going into next year, Edwards is going to clearly be the most important player for the Colonials. And He'll easily be the rookie of the year this year with very high expectations next year. Kind of on that, I, I see some Tyler Burton in him taking that trajectory of really being a superstar after this year. Can I piggyback off of this Max Edwards love? Because I like him too. It's just frustrating that GW blows as much as they do. Because like talking about Max Edwards talking about Adams, Lindo, Bishop, it's like, why do you suck so bad? You know, it's mm-hmm. like, well, it's he deserves there. to just be the sixth man on a really good team. It, yeah. I, like, I guess, I, I guess my general takeaway is not impressed with Caputo so far and that's fine for year one, but it's like, there is talent there and they, they, there's more talent than what GW has done so far. Yeah. I, I think it really, just comes down to their defense like they're just not a physical team right now and i think edwards like him playing more could help out on that end but i'm still overall optimistic for caputo they have a good recruiting class coming in next year and if you remember a lot of people were picking gw i i know i had them in dead last this year and they've certainly exceeded those expectations at least so yeah i i think you give any new coach one year of a grace period and maybe for a school like gw you give a second year or two but it'll really just depend once he gets his guys in the program to see where they end up but oh, i think yeah. edwards is his first key addition i think is a slam dunk so far yeah i don't mean to say he's not on his way because in a vacuum they're they're just fine for the long-term outlook but it's like if you just listed every player on paper on the teams it's like I don't know. You might you you might think GW was like ninth in this league with with their backcourt talent and Edwards looking like the rookie of the year and all the things we're talking about. 
All right. If you know, we do fake trades in midseason, I'm sending Hunter Dean to St. Louis because that one just occurred to me. He'd be incredible <laughs> in the Forrester role. Who, who's GW getting? Jake Forrester? Uh, Jake Forrester and they gotta get like two, two, of the US, two USA games. <laughs> they have to get like one he's of the a, freshmen. He's a don't rental play at this point. Yeah, this is, it's, a, it's a prospect. He's in, or his, something. he's in his college contract year. You know, talking about Chris Caputo, though, um, the team he's coaching so far is better than any of the three teams that Jamie and Christian coached in his three years. I mean, just analytically, they're 224 this year, and the highest they ever got with Christian was 226. So they also also, like actually play hard. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Bishop looks better, and he looks more of a scorer than just a Harlem Globetrotter. Right. Yeah. I, I, he was kind of a meme before where it was like, he's getting his points, but it's like, does anyone take him seriously? But now it's like, he's, he's putting up numbers in a, like a Ryan Daly sort of way where it's like, he's obviously <laughs> good. He's just sort of trapped on that bad team. Yeah. All right, Stu, you got number 10 for us. Oh God. I I got to have another one. Uh, well, you can defer it to pile. <laughs> I got you. If you need it. Yeah. I'll, I'll look for a minute, but I'll I'll hit pile for now. All right, we'll give Let's pile go. for number 10 because I got 11. Already. I've had 11 queued up for a while. I know how we need to close this. Okay. I said uh, six teams are going to go nine and nine because the gap among God, I'm going to take Fordham out of eighth place. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I think legit, I think six teams are going to go nine and nine. And I know that's a ton. That's a ton. That's a lot. But if you really, really look at this conference, holy crap, there's teams, I mean, 107 all the way down to 177. I mean, and that's what, that's VCU. And even Richmond at 98, all the way down to Fordham at 177 before you get a drop-off with the bottom four. Like, these teams are going to beat up on each other. We're going to, like, Duquesne's going to, like, trounce Davidson by like 20 and then turn around and lose to Fordham by like 10. Like it's going to be stupid how middle of the pack those teams are. And they're just going to beat the absolute shit out of each other's records. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the most fun part of this is someone's going to be eight and eight going into the last week of the year with very legitimate scenarios where two and zero would get them a double buy, and zero and two would send them send them to the pillow fight. <laughs> yeah. Like someone's still going to be alive for both of them with four days left in the season. Yeah, uh, that I'll, just I'll, screams UMass, doesn't it, Stu? It does, and, and I'll actually I think kinda, it screams Mason. Actually, <laughs> I'll piggyback off that hot take and say that uh, to avoid the double buy, to avoid the play in games. Um, since it's a six six team pillow fight this year, you have to go five hundred or else your pillow fight. So I'll, I think that plays in nicely with what you were just saying. Matt and I texted about this the other day. Actually, I I think eight might get you out of it. Seven absolutely will not. Yeah, that's brutal. And seven eleven is honestly a decent year, right? Like it is. If- yeah. That, that's crazy. I'm like looking last year. Matt, UMass finished seven and eleven. Mason and they, was seven and nine last year. So. Yeah, yeah. 
That's wild. GW, like Fordham, all right there. Yeah. All right. Ooh. I'm glad you guys said that because my my closer, the 11th hot take, is very similar, but it takes us all the way to March. It's a double-headed because they're both kind of mild in nature, but part number one, as Pyle mentioned like an hour and a half ago, a pillow fight team is going to win multiple games this year. Not even just the expanded pillow fight, but we're going to get somebody decent in that 10 spot. We're going to get somebody decent at 11. Like Mark Schmidt might just have a good game in the second round of the tournament. And once again, there's just not much separation between the middle and the top of the bottom. The bottom of the bottom is still pretty bad. Part two maybe not that hot because we've seen it happen three times this decade with a team outside of the top four, actually winning a tor- the a 10 tournament, someone outside the top four who does not get a double buy is going to make the finals. And it's not just the parody. These teams who finish five, six, seven are going to really be helped by that day off on Friday. You win two straight, you get to rest up. Now the advantage of playing one less game is kind of gone for the other teams. And with the standings I predicted, I think the perfect example, if UMass finishes outside of the top four and they're in that five, six, seven range, they're a really dangerous team for this because they play great defense. We could get something like the first half of their tournament game last year where Fernandes and Weeks both go Inferno at the same time. There's just so much variability in their offense that certain guys could get hot in certain games and they could win two of these games on defense alone. So that's the kind of team I'd be looking for when we, when we get to March, I want to start hunting that five, six, seven seed that's sitting at 25 to one odds that could win this tournament. Dude, pillow fight went in all the way to Friday. That's Mark Schmidt's, that's Mark Schmidt's music right there. Like, <laughs> That's if there's a if there's a coach All in the way this to league Thursday now. Yeah, if there's a if there is a coach in this league who is going to be a pillow fight team and get his team out, it's probably Mark Schmidt. And I feel like it's him over Archie Miller just because Archie does not have a very good history in this tournament. Like I feel like he's dreading it with this Rhode Island team. Loyal is a candidate too. I guess that's true, but yeah. I don't know. I don't feel like we don't know enough about Drew Valentine. Like, yeah, they were yeah. good in the Missouri Valley, but the Missouri Valley last when Loyola was in it was basically this was basically this A10 A10 conference this year. So I don't know, yeah. but I feel like that's Mark Schmidt's number right there. I might just have to do it, guys. I might have to do it when we do the brackets. <laughs> All right, and I'll close out with this because we've gone long enough. I Matt did want to hit on the the betting odds for the regular season. Um, I think we got to skip that at this point, which is a bummer for all you community fans out there because I wanted to go team by team like it was one of Leonard's frozen pizza reviews. We could give the line. We could tell you exactly what odds you will be able to get on January 1st at Kroger's if you live in Ohio. There you go. Yeah, I don't know if we have enough time for the pizza review. That might be post-credits. We'll release it another time. But overall, I think the general consensus, we've had a lot of different hot takes, but I think the one thing in common with a lot of these is that the conference is really wide open. And as we get toward the 
conference tournament back in Brooklyn this year. It's just going to be so exciting with the wrinkle of having an extra day off. And so many teams that right now are all bunched up in Ken Palm and all the other analytics. It's just going to be a really exciting rest of the season. So my message to everyone, what happened in the non-conference doesn't really matter now. Like we all know the eight hens bad. Let's just embrace it. It's going to be a fun conference season and there's going to be some chaos. All right, Pyle. Thank you for putting together nearly two hours with us with a messed up throat. Where can everybody find your good work and throw in a closing statement if you have one? You can find me Twitter at Parley Pile. Also follow at A10 Talk. I'm the, I'm the one of the head guys there. Uh, we do uh, we have a lot of guys there that do a lot of good work. So follow us there. Um, reach out, talk to me, um, call me out on all my bullshit. Um, all that good stuff. As for a closing statement, I will just say, please, Dayton, do not lose at Fordham again. That's that's actually less embarrassing now, but not if you're a Flyer fan. All right, Stu, uh, where can everybody find you? Uh, Twitter, Sludicky, S-L-U-D-D-E-C-K-E-93. Um, and I write for Busting Brackets occasionally having my second kid in February. So uh, it might be even less than it is now, which is already temporarily uh, or occasionally, I mean, Um, but let's see, closing statements, uh, go UMass and go the under tomorrow in Dayton Duquesne because it was 130.5 and the few Dayton games that I've watched, they've scored about 12 points in the first half. So we need to hammer that under and we need to hope for that under. All right. Thank you guys both for joining us. My closing statement, uh, Stu has been coming on this pod basically since we started it. He is in the top three in terms of number of guest appearances. I have been pronouncing his last name wrong this entire time (laughs) to the point that when the Gola boys mentioned him in their mailbag pod the other day and called him Stu Ludicky, I thought that they said it wrong. So (laughs) we will close out this pod with an apology to Stu. A thank you to Pyle and just reminding everyone to embrace the chaos. I won't even thank you for listening. We're going to end it on that. Embrace the chaos. now